back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And for the past year, we've had so many incredible conversations with women about middle age and aging. And I am delighted today to bring on a woman I have admired for so many years. Sabrina Ullman Matthews has been a practicing therapist for 42 years. And she says she wanted to become one because as a child, she was riveted by the Ladies Home Journal section called Can This Marriage Be Saved? She also eavesdrops on her mother who gossips to friends. And in her childhood, everyone's lives were far more interesting to her than any other topic. She's a huge reader and says she's learned a lot more about people from novels and memoirs than from psychic tropes. And you know, man, I agree with that, Sabrina. We can just gather around our love of the written word as being the best psychological practice you could ever have, right? Absolutely. It's so wonderful to talk with you and see you in person. I don't know why I have this fondness toward you that feels like we could have had a past life together. Something has made from the moment I met you like, oh my God, I love this woman. I can never explain how that happens or why, but I really feel that way about you. I could not agree more about you, Sheila. I absolutely, absolutely. And I totally believe in that. Woo. I just want to start with some basics. First of all, what has surprised you about aging? What has delighted you? And what has really pissed you off? What has delighted me? What has delighted me is that I no longer care what 99% of people think about me, that it has given me this tremendous amount of freedom to just be who I am and show up the way I want to show up. You know, the caveat being you don't want to harm people. So right. that informs how I show up, but I no longer care what other people think about me. And that has been an extraordinary gift. I think I hear that repeated by women more than any other thing, that there is a gift of perhaps it's just your own knowing or your own comfort in who you are and where you've, the stage you've come to. But could you describe to me what you were like before you granted that gift to yourself? I think I was far more self-conscious. I think the observing ego was very much in charge, constantly scrutinizing my behavior. Oh my God, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said this. Why did you say something so stupid? You know, obviously that doesn't a hundred percent leave us, but I care so much less. That has been really delightful. Also surprising. You also asked what has been surprising about aging. That maybe it's the whole trajectory of aging that I could not have imagined the life I'm living now. I could not have in a million years imagined this life. And maybe I think lots of people feel this way, but I look around and I think, oh my God, this is so extraordinary. Do you mean that because of the amount of freshness in your creativity and your curiosity, the amount of relaxing time that you've been afforded. What parts of this life really surprise you to the point that you don't think you could have imagined it? Because of the how I grew up, I could not have imagined a stable home life, a stable family, you know, two amazing children. I was someone who was determined not to have children. And and I'm a little bit going off 
off track here. No, I grew, I'm following. <laughs> I grew up reading speculative and science fiction from childhood. And so there was a way in which I felt, uh-oh, it is really going to hit the fan. It's so clear to me that it is. So part of it was, did I want to inflict my genetic history on my children? Uh -huh. And did I want to inflict what I saw coming down the pike? So now here I am and I'm I'm so deeply grateful. And I could not have imagined a stable marriage. I just, it wasn't modeled for me or stable career. Stable career was modeled for me. Yeah. There were certain things that aren't a surprise to me that I, from the time I was very young, knew that I really couldn't have a boss. I definitely jumped through the hoops and I've had bosses, but I have a perpetual 16-year-old that will never die. And being told what to do just doesn't work for me. So I knew I had to structure a life where I could work on my own. And I knew that I couldn't devote 50, 60 hours a week to work. I don't have the temperament. I don't have the inner resources, I think. So I've been very lucky that I could create that. I'm so interested in what you say about you have been sensitive to the coming troubles, to the potential for a change in the world order, a change in the way our lives are lived. And one would think that you'd be feeling that now more than ever before. So I'm struck by both your optimism and your ability to put it in context with the rest of your life. I think, Sheila, I think that most of us live in bifurcated selves. My personal life is deeply satisfying and it's such a shit show and I'm terrified on that level, but I can toggle between those things hmm. that I'm aware that it's an unbelievable mess does not deprive me of present joy. Yeah. I really think there will be a lot of women listening to say, how, 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 how do you not get caught up in the drama, in the constant news barrage and all of the things that are asking us, pay attention, pay attention, be on fear alert. I'd love to hear your tips for that. You know, it's a little bit what the Buddhists say, everything changes, everything changes. Mm -hmm. So I have this moment, I have this moment, and it's always going to change. And all I have literally is this moment. You know, the world could be beautiful, beautiful, but I could walk out and get hit by a car. It happens. I think one of the things that I have felt so attracted to about you is this inner joy. You are not walling yourself off from both the problems with world politics, with women's reproductive health. It's like you're very aware politically, but you carry a presence of pure outward joy. And well, I wonder if that if that matches, really, if that is developed from the interior out. I think it is. I think at some point, I don't even know how long ago it was, and this came out of my marriage. You know, my husband and I would fight about the stupidest bullshit. And finally, I had this realization that I do not want to spend my minutes doing that or feeling that. And so it was literally a door open for me. And I made this conscious decision that this is not how I want to spend the minutes of my life. So it's the same thing. Mm. How many minutes of my personal time that I have left am I willing to devote to feeling horrible? I think what you're giving in that answer is the actual decision is yours. The decision is all of ours. 
right? I think that that's true. And again, I want to say I recognize chronic mental illness. You know, this is on a spectrum of things. We have some control. Yeah. I'm going to exert the amount of control I'm able to. I wanted to, as the kind of overarching topic that I wanted to discuss with you is I hear the term diminishment for older women in particular. And I wonder, first of all, what you think of that term, how you would describe diminishment and any thoughts that you have regarding diminishment. You know, I hear in line with what you're saying, oh my God, I have gray hair now and I'm invisible to men. I'm sexually invisible. And I think, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because we are energetic beings inhabiting this material self. So move your energy around. Mm. I don't feel diminished in that way. Do I feel diminished in my own physicality? Sure. You know, the crepey arms, all of it that we all talk about. The, you know, in the middle of the night, your fat moves one place to another without your permission. It's like, really? (laughs) How did you get there? Is that diminishment or is that just change? Uh Yeah. I don't feel particularly diminished. I feel I don't know. It's a time is a construct, right? Time is a construct and who we are is a construct. Right. And I love you describing what is our true power is our spirit, right? That is the energy that we are like bouncing off other people and the positivity we have when we walk in a room. And I agree with you. People who decide they're diminished look diminished. That's exactly right. Yeah, people who harness their energy and they walk into the room like, hello, let's get this started. You are naturally attracted to them. And again, I come from a very privileged place. I have enough comfort around me. I have the ability to access medical care, all of that. I understand that for someone who's living on the street, that is a different conversation. Mm -hmm. I really have to set the parameters for all of these conversations with, we are dealing mostly with where your basic needs are taking care of. Right. Because I feel like it's another entire series with people who are houseless or people who That's exactly right. But I don't, I don't want to sound, oh God, another entitled therapist. Yes, I am entitled. Mm -hmm. I have been given a lot. And, and acknowledging that to say, now, can we have a discussion too about why so many people who already have so much at their behest feel diminished? Where does that come from? Right. And again, this is not to say that I don't whine about all the things that are going wrong in my body. I whine with the best of them. (laughs) (laughs) But you also bring so much humor to the conversation around aging. Like, I think a lot of people are used to either not having the conversation or having it very, very seriously. Exactly. You know, I have this friend, it's like, I said, how are you doing? Oh, I hurt every time I get up. And I'm thinking, so pop to <laughs> like, you know, I know that sounds pretty callous, but you know, I'm not ready to close down shop. What can I tell you? Yeah, that, I love that. That might have to be my, my title for you, <laughs> Sabrina <laughs> Holman Matthews, not ready to close down shop parentheses yet. I, I have to tell my clients, look, if I start drooling or sounding really weird, you have to let me know. Because yeah, 
I love that you are going to continue to work because to me, the, the purpose piece of women's lives as they age is so essential. And for you, it's clear to me how much you love your work. I do. I do. Well, likewise. I mean, it's so clear to me. I hope you work till you can't. You know? I do too, because you know, I would be such a mess for the people around me if I didn't. Let me tell you, I have too much brain power and, and that does, and that's not meant to sound arrogant. I mean- No, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. My brain could really trip me up in a way that wouldn't be positive if I, if I didn't put it on positive things. We have these big, big brains and they need- to chew on something. Totally. And, you know, for so many people, they think, well, I've never worked. How am I going to create a job? Or I'm not talking about a job. I'm talking okay. about curiosity, energy transfer. I'm talking about being deeply committed to anything or anyone. Right. I'm talking right. about cooking, gardening, like loving, just learning about new geology. I'm talking about whatever it is that turns you on. Pick anything. Right. I mean, I remember, Sabrina, I came to you at a time when I was so deeply depressed and you said to me, what if it doesn't work out the way that you're describing? What if it works out with every possible thing going right? And I'll tell you, my imagination was so stunted during that period. I was <laughs> so deeply in one rut of just everything had gone wrong. And I think providing that window for other people to say, you know, there is the potential that this other path may exist, whether it's an alternate universe or just different choices, or perhaps the way you're seeing things, you know? How I many people at midlife get stuck like I was during that time? I think many, in part because of the way we've structured this society. Yeah that capitalism puts on us that you have to have work and a career and the framing is very limited. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as what you produce. And if you can't produce the thing you've been producing, now what happens? Right. And one of the things I was so um, surprised by when you told me is that one of your greatest pleasures is doing absolutely nothing, truly enjoying doing nothing. So talk about that if you would. How do I want to say this? I love to putter. <laughs> and the thing that I know about that is what it allows my brain to do. My It allows my subconscious to do a lot of work. Mm. I have no idea what I'm actually thinking about, you know, when I'm puttering around and folding laundry, I, you know, really mundane stuff. But I know that it allows my brain to get really creative. And I think that downtime does that for us. Yeah. I've felt much more the need for that as I get older. I don't know if it's the natural way that the brain is like saying, please don't, you know, send off another telomer into the universe with your stressful life. Please take a moment <laughs> and preserve these telomeres and create more by puttering. This has been a through line in my life that I'm very covetous of my time, which mm -hmm. is one reason I knew I couldn't work 50, 60 hours, that I need so much rest. My brain yeah. needs rest. And, you know, I think some of it is we're not allowed very much in this culture, despite, you know, self-help or therapy. We're not very much allowed to investigate how we as individuals actually move. You know, you go to school, 
your shuttle to this activity, that activity, I, th- I think we're not taught that we need to restore our brains. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a funny story, Sabrina, when Sophie was four, I was in that mode of perfect mom taking her from her soccer game in the rain immediately to piano lessons, which were just devastating because she'd sit there in damp clothes at the piano. And then we would go to her art class and she she was sitting in her booster seat at that time. And I'll never forget. (laughs) She said to me, I'm overscheduled. I had no idea how she even learned the word, but she felt in her body like she could not take all of the movement that I was projecting upon her. So we quit everything and we would make music. We would dance around. I can't tell you how much that freed up my life and hers for more joy. And I'm, I'm not kidding. When I talked to the recruiters at her college, they said her creativity was the reason she was recruited because it was clear that it was from an organic source that she truly is a source of creativity and joy. And I was like, oh my God, think about that as parents. We try to actually hammer it out of our kids in order for them to succeed. Exactly. Exactly. I'm really of the belief that you can't have your best creativity when you are on the move all the time. I don't think it happens. Your mind is not freed up enough. I have my best writing from like 5 a.m. to 7 before I'm really awake, it's kind of like on the prism. I'm sort of closer to the sleep. Yeah, you're in that liminal space. Yes. Yeah, so I would say, you know, like if if there are people saying, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to find my passion. How do we get them to explore that liminal space? This seems like a very basic question, but what I'll say to people is what gave you joy as a kid? What Mm. did you like to do when you were little? Mm. And that often can tap into something. Yeah, we were artists. We were, we were engineers. We were creating all. We were bug collectors. You know, all of that. And some people say, I'm not creative. And, you know, I don't buy that, but let's untangle that. What does that mean? And what does it mean to be creative? Yeah, I love that suggestion. So- You know, I want to talk about the physical aspects of aging because I think I've said this to you before that it's shocking to me that the body can go so wrong in so many places every single day you're faced with it. Do you ever get to the point where it doesn't bother you? Oh my God, I that's complicated. It annoys me. It annoys me too, man. It's really annoying. (laughs) I mean, I swear to God, I feel like if I eat the wrong thing in two hours, my body is falling apart and showing me like in that much way, like, oh, you overdid it. We're going to just cause you this many more wrinkles and fat deposits in bizarre areas, you know? It's, you know, waking up one day and seeing that my eyelid suddenly drooped more than it did yesterday. Like what happened? <laughs> what did you do wrong to yourself to have that occur, right? Or, you know, I'm close to 70 and I still get pimples. It's like, who made that happen? <laughs> there are design flaws that I like to fix. 
I know. Wouldn't it be great though if you were gifted with pimples that you didn't have to have the wrinkles, right? You you would think the trade-off would be one or the right? other. Right? You yeah. know, pimple in your wrinkle. You know, sometimes <laughs> when the kids were little, it's like, I wish you would come with an operating manual instead of a placenta. It's like this yeah. is helpful. <laughs> Do you know I have only had this conversation with one other person who didn't is drive it- me crazy? And and this is about my belief that at a certain age, I will likely stop taking all of the interventions that are artificially keeping me alive because Mm -hmm. I have seen the lives of people who are trying desperately to extend them and they're not good lives. They're in a lot of pain. They're in a lot of discomfort. They're no longer productive. They're not really feeling like they're making a contribution. And I think it's time to have a much more realistic conversation around it's okay to not want to extend your life into your hundreds. Absolutely. That said, I, for example, suffer from osteoporosis, you know, and they want to put me on this medication and there are all these side effects, but do you want a broken hip? And it's like, you know, you're weighing, weighing, weighing. And at some point, yes, you're right. At some point it's like, oh, well, whatever. Totally. I mean, if you think about the trillions of people (laughs) that have died with osteoporosis. They never knew they had it. Exactly. They didn't go on some, you know, medicine that's going to make you fracture your leg the minute you stop it. It's a bizarre thing that we're attempting to fix our way out of the most normal process in the world. And maybe in 10 years, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I had that conversation because now I want all the tubes and all the whistles to keep me alive. But I don't think I will, Sabrina. I don't think you will either because I think part of this is informed by your temperament and that Mm -hmm. doesn't change very much. You know, you've been developing this way of moving in the world for a very long time. So I don't see that you're suddenly going to say, yes, give me every life-saving thing possible. But I wonder how you would encourage people to start thinking about these choices because it, it requires of us to actually start considering our mortality. You just hit it on the head. Consider your mortality. You know, I work with people who are deathly afraid of dying. It's like, what are you actually afraid of? I'm afraid of leaving the people I love. I get that. And what does living in the fear of our deaths take away from this everyday moment where we could be enjoying ourselves so much? Exactly. Because I don't know what's going to happen in another three seconds. You know, Sabrina, you sent me an essay that I thought was so important. And the person, the writer, I believe it was Jane Miller. Yeah. yeah, he was was talking about how as a person who wants to try to put some sort of control over his life, he has adopted all these things that he must do. And I sort of recognize a little bit of myself in that. (laughs) I got to get my exercise. I got to try to eat my greens. I got to try... And I love the fact that he was pointing out this too is in an effort to forestall the inevitable, right? Exactly. If you can reduce your stress, eat a little more spinach, see your friends and call it a day, you know, and do things you like to do. I think the worrying ages us more than anything, the anxiety. And the loneliness. when The loneliness have decided that I'm not worthy or I'm too diminished or I'm too this or that to reach out to a friend and say, 
hey, I'm struggling. Could we talk about this? I am super worried. I think that we have an entire generation of older people who were shut off during COVID mm -hmm. and who have yet to really reemerge fully in their lives. I think you're right. And no one can make you do that, right? You're no. the only who can make that happen. Yeah, that's going to be one of the things that I try to look deeper into is how many friendships were lost, how many relationships a, were lost. That's so because, interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. So and the relationship to the self, how that really changed. Right? Yeah. Did it, the, did it change you at all? Did this external threat, this huge virus change I, you? Honestly, I feel that I'm one of the lucky people who saw it as a gift to have very few obligations was so amazing for me. <laughs> me too. I loved it so much. I and loved it so much. And my friends are like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Again, I had two cats and a husband. Yeah. So he was good. Yeah. It's if so I funny. had been alone, it would have been a very, very different story. And I yeah. know that I'm so acutely aware of that. I and sometimes what, miss it, to tell you the truth. I do. And what I recognized is that I'm much more self-contained than I even thought I was. That I'm, you know, I don't like to use the dichotomy of introvert-extrovert, but, you know, I realized that I could spend even more time alone than I thought I could. Uh-huh. That you could be better off than you ever thought you could be. Yeah. So that surprised me. Yeah. 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 That I really didn't miss all that activity. Yeah. So that was interesting. I do want you to speak to that older woman who is a little bit lost about what it is that their purpose or the plan is at this point, just in terms of what therapy can do for people in terms of allowing them to sort of see windows as I did or to see themselves in a different way? How would you describe what the benefits might be? Of therapy? I Well, for me, the most important benefit is the relationship with the self, that it's a platform where you can really look at yourself and how you relate to yourself and what you want to do. And one of the things that I think is so inhibiting for people and probably maybe gets a little more difficult is is how rules bound people can be that they operate by so many rules and i think that as we get older that kind of rigidity is not very helpful yeah and so i think therapy allows you a platform to really look at how you want to relate to yourself it's just so important i think to keep checking back too because of the change right because of everything that is coming at us every single day that is never the same as yesterday. Right. And, and I don't want to forget, yes, there is some grief attendant with this. I'm never going to be 25 again. I have some grief about that. That's okay. Mm -hmm. The grief lives intertwined with the joy. If you're able to sort of take both and, you know, throw them up in the air like balls, they're both interesting to deal with. I've had as profound of acknowledgements and surprises and wake up calls from grief as I have had from joy. And yeah. nobody gets out of this life scot-free. Nobody. Right. Yeah. 
I always say the bargain that we make for being human is getting to go through all of the mud, right? You know? It is a thousand percent true. You're so wise, Sheila. I feel so honored to be here. I'll tell you, I'm working towards some sort of wisdom that makes me as happy and joyful in in the room as you are. (laughs) I think you're already there, girl. (laughs) Thank you. And I love spending the day with you, Sabrina. Thank you again very much. It's so my pleasure.